He cares about what's driving it. It's just not spiritual whiteout that he provides. He, he wants to come down to meet the core needs, to heal the deep wounds, to give us a chance to lament the losses that we've experienced. And then in that, he does turn what was ugly into something beautiful. This is a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, Season 4. The Church is Dying, or is it? Well, welcome again to Season 4 of Taste and See. I'm Ted Wiesty, the Director of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, and I'm here with my my friend and uh, the producer, the co-host of uh, this illustrious podcast, Gray Ewing. Thanks, Ted, for that intro. I am Gray. I am the pastor of Ascension Church of Phoenix and also just a mere humble uh, team member of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona and the podcast co-host and uh, glad to be here today. And we're excited today to be here with another guest as we explore what's going on in the church today and if there's any hope. Um, About 25 years ago, there was a book written called The Church is Dying. And uh, many people push that that book aside, but today it seems we're listening a little bit to this observation and wondering because we're seeing massive shifts in the church today. So of course, uh, we're calling this season The Church is Dying, insert dramatic pause, (laughs) or is it? And so we want to have conversations about what's really going on in the church. And then where, where is their hope? Um, what is the hope? Yeah, well, it depends on what you mean by church, what you mean by dying, uh, and what you mean by looking for those signs. And so it's going to be interesting to have a number of different perspectives this season. Talking to a lot of folks who are out there on the front lines, have been in the church world for a long time, and I think today is no different. Yeah, and so today we're joined by our friend uh, Terry uh, Wardle and, and Terry, I, I've known your name for quite a few years, but finally got to meet you back in August when I got to uh, be a part of a conference that uh, the ministry you lead, Healing Care Ministries, uh, had there in Ohio. It was my first time to Ohio, which was fun. I was getting to connect with some people that I'd gotten to know a little bit, uh, some of your team members, and then getting to meet you and uh, so grateful for uh, your ministry and welcome. Thanks for being here. And this is my first time meeting you as well. So glad to meet you, brother. It's great to be here with both of you. I've been looking forward to this uh, so much so that uh, I turned on at 11 o'clock today and then looked and went, no, no, I'm on at one. (laughs) So (laughs) I've been ready for quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, two hours in advance is normal for our guests. They're just so excited (laughs) to meet with us normally. They just, they have to that to psych themselves up. Well, and and, you know, the time difference doesn't help because we're three hours behind you. And so, you know, this whole season we're having breakfast as a, as a nod to uh, John 21 and Jesus saying, come and eat breakfast at that time where the disciples were so disoriented. And so um, thanks for meeting with us. Well, well, it is sort of still breakfast time for us, but it's one in the afternoon for you. And uh, so we'll, we'll take a break here in a second and, and have something to eat. 
Um, but but tell Terry just a, a, maybe a, a, a little bit more about yourself. I know you're married to Cheryl, right? I met Cheryl at the conference. Tell us a little bit about your family and uh, a little bit about your background. I have a wonderful family. Uh, Cheryl and I had a son and have a son and two daughters. They're all adults. They all now have their own family. So we have six grandchildren. Uh, we live in Ashland. We came here 25 years ago. I moved from my uh, post at Simpson University to Ashland University. Uh, I've spent about 30 years of my life teaching in seminary or in university around practical theology. Before that, a background in pastoral ministry. And um, for 20 years, I've also been, if you will, planting the seeds of this new ministry we have called Healing Care Ministries, which is fundamentally an intersection of uh, spiritual empowerment, uh, deep healing of emotional wounds, and learning how to be effective spiritual directors. And God has really laid his hand on that. He has. He has. Neil, who uh, who leads the spiritual direction program, uh, has become a great friend. And uh, I'm so glad that he's he's doing that with you guys. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's exciting to see the ministry flourish and and deepen and uh, and and extend uh, to more and more people. Yeah, God's up to something, and uh, there are a lot of hungry and hurting Christian people that are looking for that combination of how do we grow deeper in Christ? How do we meet Jesus in the sacrament of the present moment? How do we deal with the unemotion, the emotional baggage of the past? And I think. Uh, that's all the heart of God. And I'm just thrilled that we get to be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're going to take a break here for a moment and uh, have this breakfast time together, no matter what time it is. Breakfast, you can always eat anytime. Mm -hmm. You can't really have dinner for breakfast, but I think you can have breakfast for lunch or dinner. Yeah, I think that's why Jesus fixed breakfast in John 21 and not one of the other meals of the day. <laughs> yeah, be, be a little awkward. Yeah. You know, even though I grew up in a family where, you know, we go to the grandma's house and she would serve us leftovers from the night before for breakfast, which as little kids we thought was kind of cool. And I don't <laughs> right. know. Anyway, exactly. well, hey, we're going to take a break. But but before we do, let's talk about what we're eating, because that's what we always do. We talk about what we're eating and then we eat it and then we say if it was good or not after we come back from the break. So, um, Terry, what are what do you have? I have this amazing apple uh, Danish. Um, it's actually called an apple fritter. It's made right next door at the bakery. And uh, they they are very, very close to being sinful in how wonderful they are. <laughs> and I'm also having something that I love to have, and that is some really, really good hot chocolate. So that's my, actually, it's my dessert from lunch that is now breakfast with wow. you. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. We need to institute that more, the uh, dessert for lunch. <laughs> yes, yes. And so what we're having today is, um, for those of you in the Phoenix area, you probably heard of Bosa Donuts. 
And they're the best donuts in Arizona. At least that's what their signs say, which I think is hilarious. You have to believe every sign that you read. Yeah, that's in their logo. It says best donuts in Arizona. There's some folks in the downtown area that will uh, fight you on that. Oh, rainbow, rainbow. Well, that's the other big one. That's right. So, but go ahead. But but Bosa, I've heard, has really good breakfast sandwiches. So we've got um, a little coffee here, just regular kind of black donut store coffee. Yeah. And then um, we've got these breakfast sandwiches. So we'll see how it goes. Sounds wonderful. We'll be right back to talk with Terry. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and Seed podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. All right, well, we're back after getting to share a little time with Terry over something to eat. And and uh, and during the break, Terry, you made a comment about how great what you were eating was. Will you just share that again? Well, I, I actually, I feel bad for, for both of you. I, I, I really do. I, I have an empathic connection because this, this apple fritter is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, people line up for it. And, and I was kind of watching what you were doing and I, I just felt badly. So if you come to Ashland, we'll, we'll redeem this moment for you. Is it kind of the crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I must say our review of Bosa Donut Sandwiches, it, it wasn't that great. It was okay. Yeah. But it was, I ordered them with toast is what it said, but it just almost felt like it was two pieces of white bread with, with the felt, sauce of an egg. It felt like something you can make at home. <laughs> However... That they're not in their lane, right? When they do the breakfast sandwiches, they're not in their lane. They're they're known for being the best donuts in Arizona. Yeah, I just heard they had good breakfast sandwiches. So now we know. Right. And uh, and now you know most not, of, not most to trust donuts, that source. <laughs> most of donuts, we're sorry because this podcast is heard by millions, and you'll probably never sell another breakfast sandwich. But we're just putting people out of business here. Oh gosh! But the donuts, we did get um, we did get uh, donut holes because I thought. No matter how the sandwiches are, a donut hole can can redeem a little bit. Right, that's right. right. And there, well, there's, there's a surprising thing in this for me, though. I mean, I'm kind of going breakfast sandwich, donuts, breakfast sandwich, donuts, and you chose breakfast sandwich. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's uh, wisdom bears considering here. Terry, I've got some hang-ups, okay? <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, I should have just gone for the donuts. You know, I should have. That's what my heart was telling me, but I thought, well, maybe a, a breakfast sandwich will be a little more substantive with some protein. Yeah. And but yeah. you know, they have a mean apple fritter as well. I don't know if it's if it's Ashland worthy uh, or or not. Doesn't sound like it. But yeah. uh, but Bosa, we love you. We we stick to what you know. We, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And no, you know what? I've never. I've never had a bad experience eating sausage and egg and, and bread. I mean, these are, yeah. these are amazing things. So it was still good. Still very good. I want to turn our attention to our nourishing conversation now, because uh, as Jesus invites us into um, a life with him, he sets the table before us, uh, you know, in the presence of our enemies, uh, wherever we are, he brings us into a, 
a deep relationship with him where we can eat with him just like he does with his disciples the last supper even with uh, peter and john chapter 21 they're on the beach he's making a breakfast uh, jesus doesn't invite us into a spiritual life only right it is the it is life true life and that includes even the things that we eat and also includes our time together of discussing important things so terry thank you so much for being here again I want to lead off with just the title of our series, uh, which is The Church is Dying, or Is It? And I want to get your reactions to that title. Uh, do you think this is a worthwhile discussion to have right now? Where do you see the boundaries of that discussion really existing? And kind of what's on your heart as you you know, approach the, the overall topic of, is the church in trouble, or is, is there a hidden rebirth happening, or this kind of whole approach to the topic? Well, I, I think the title and the topic is very, very important. What will make it most important would be as we set the parameters of definition in terms of what do we mean by church and what do we mean by dying? Because there is no question but looking at some local churches that you begin to see fewer and fewer people engaging there. But does the local church actually serve as a microcosm of the church as a whole, uh, the people of God, the colony of heaven, as uh, Clark Pinnock would call it. I was at a wedding about uh, two years ago, and it happened that a friend of mine from Germany had flown over for the wedding, and they made a comment that really grabbed me. Uh, she said, Terry, the, uh, the cathedrals in Germany are empty. The living rooms are full. And she was talking about the fact that there are Christian communities that are no longer springing up within the confines of what we would know as the local church, but they're happening around gatherings of individuals that are coming in the name of Jesus. So, yeah, I think it's a very, very important topic. And at first hearing, it could lead a person into discouragement. But if we're willing to look at the whole narrative, we may find there is great hope. And that's part of our desire and hope for this whole season of the podcast is to talk honestly about um, things that are happening, things which are painful, you know, for, for a lot of people, things that are confusing, disorienting, and, uh, and watch this conversation tilt over and over again toward, toward hope. Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the areas that I think has been a part of the conversation uh, is the abuse and trauma being realities in the church. And, and, and the church traditionally, and I say traditionally, has you know, not interacted with those things necessarily very well. Um, and then at times, even churches have, have perpetrated um, traumatic things and abuses. And uh, you know, your, your ministry, Healing Care Ministries, and I know with formational prayer and spiritual direction and the things you offer, you're, you're focused on these healing kind of ministries. Mm -hmm. uh, how, do you, how do you see all that um, being used by God in the overall arc of what he's doing? Well, first, let me say, I make a comment that I, I was invited to speak at a church not that long ago, and they said, we want you to speak on this theme, wounded in the household of God. And I said, uh, which way do you mean that? Because there are wounded people in the household of God, 
that have been wounded because of unaddressed emotional issues of the past that the church is not addressing. And then there are individuals that are actually wounded in the household of God because of a performance orientation that comes across in many settings regarding Christian discipleship. And the person that invited me said, I have to think about that. And I guess I want you to talk about both. And, and so I think that is part of what we're about. Uh, God has given us this opportunity now for over two decades to sit with Christian people who really want to go deeper in Christ, but have hit a wall. And the pray more, read more, do more, go more strategy that is often thrown at them has done nothing. And all of a sudden, they're able to come and hear that the, unemo the unaddressed emotional wounds of the past can cripple our relationship with God. They can change the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, the way we view other people. And as we began to hear the stories, we've heard both kinds of stories, stories of wounding that occurred within childhood and, you know, from society in general, and then wounds that have happened in the church where people got the impression we don't measure up. And because we don't measure up, God's angry with us. And uh, that's become at the heart of what we want to proclaim, that Jesus wants to meet us in those places and, and actually take what we remember as ugly and turn it into something that's beautiful. So I'm running into people all the time that are, have that experience of the pray more, do more, give more, show up more, go on more mission trips, these types of things that you were referencing. Um, different responses to that when, when you hit that wall, um, and I think most people do at some point, the, is this all there is to, to church kind of mentality? I see some people going frustrated and angry and resentful and leaving. I see some people just getting really sad and internal. Um, I see people um, railing against the church. Uh, there, there's just different kind of responses. First of all, I guess, why, why is the approach that you mentioned insufficient? Um, and, and what would be kind of uh, your first steps of kind of a pathway out of that mentality? Well, let's, let's begin by recognizing that unless the Holy Spirit is doing the work, it doesn't matter what the strategy is. So I want to make sure that I'm saying that, that this strategy is a tool of the Spirit, and apart from the Spirit, it's going nowhere. But what I don't think people spend time doing is considering what comprises the wall. What, 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 what's the brick and mortar of that wall? And a lot of people think it's the, well, you didn't pray enough, that created the wall. You didn't give enough, that created the wall. And I can go on down that line. When in fact, I don't think any of that contributes to the strength of that wall that keeps people from moving through. And by the way, I, I've, I've often thought this thought, when people hit that wall, it seems like there's three responses. One is, um, I'm, I'm just going to experience a breakdown. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm desolate. The church isn't what I thought it would be. Another is break away. I've had it. I'm going off and find something more important. But what I think most people are looking through is how to break through. And, and I think part of breaking through is recognizing that most of the walls that people hit are comprised of four very, very related items. Wounds that 
have not been addressed. The resulting false beliefs that were shaped by that experience, the emotions and feelings that are generated by those false beliefs, and then the very destructive ways people have chosen to deal with the internal pain. And so what we've done is we've parsed that out so that we, we want to talk to people about what is the nature of a wound? Then we want to talk about how those wounds create these beliefs and how, how they're shaped by episodes so they're really neuropathways that we go to quite quickly. And what is the ungrieved loss that the church is not attending? I appreciate when Eugene Peterson said, the church has done a psalmectomy. It has taken the place of a lament out of the church. And, and then uh, I would say this other piece, and we'll dialogue further on any of these, that in many places, the church zeroes in on the dysfunctional behaviors, the sins, and wants people to stop it without looking beneath it to what's driving it in the first place. St. Ignatius once said this, Satan does not hit you at your sin. He hits you at what is driving your sin at the, in the first place. And in his case, he called those disordered affections, where we're trying to find meaning and significance and safety and purpose through things that are not God. And it ends up driving a lot of the behaviors that we're doing. I feel like we could say, amen, let's pray. And um, just the awareness of those things is incredibly significant. I, I think for so many followers of Jesus, well-meaning, you know, people that seek to be faithful, uh, understanding that there are deeper things going on than just the surface behavior uh, is huge. Mm -hmm. Incredibly significant. I love the fact that you've used the word uh, awaken. I think that's foundational to the issue of the Christian journey, that there are these ongoing spiritual awakenings that we will have. And awakening doesn't mean necessarily, wow, I feel very, very good. Awakening can also be to the deep desolation that I've been experiencing that hasn't been touched by the pray more, do more, serve more uh, strategy. Uh, actually, when, when we begin to talk about the fact of there's something driving sin, it really is a great encouragement to me because I know that Jesus cares. He cares about what's driving it. It's just not spiritual whiteout that he provides. He, he wants to come down to meet the core needs, to heal the deep wounds, to give us a chance to lament the losses that we've experienced. And then in that, he does turn what was ugly into something beautiful. You know, Zephaniah 3, I think it's verse 19, says something like, um, I'm going to bring you praise in the very place you once experienced shame. Uh, what, what many of us have done is we, we've taken our brokenness and we shove it far back thinking it won't bother us, not knowing that it's creating a tremendous amount of shame. And Jesus is saying, I want to meet you back there in that shame and I'm going to actually turn it into something wonderful. And that's where the glory of the gospel becomes breathtaking, breathtaking for me. I appreciate that kind of word picture of spiritual whiteout mm -hmm. as 
how people often think about forgiveness. I receive this forgiveness, just wipes everything out, and then I can go about my business. And yet things really don't change um, because there hasn't been that deep work of addressing uh, woundedness. You know, Ted, when I was a, a boy, we would go to see this aunt and uncle, my great aunt and uncle, and they were the only somewhat wealthy people among the poor folks that I was used to, like my own family. And every time we went there, my mother gave us a lecture, now you behave, now you behave. I think those words became the centerpiece of too many sermons that I have heard across the years that God is speaking to us and saying, now you behave. I don't think Jesus is really into behavior modification. He wants to do something deeper. There's a transformation. And we've got to be willing to go there with people. And often that transformation takes place at the unresolved issues of our past. So if now you behave is not the centerpiece of what God's heart would be for us. Is there, is there a similar phrase that you would say this would be the centerpiece of preaching or our relating in terms of maybe what God's heart would be? How would you say that? Well, I don't know that I have as catchy of a phrase, but I would say this, that um, the heart of the gospel is helping people step into who they really are. I define sin as failure to live out of who we really are in Christ. And according to Ephesians 1, 3 and, and, and the writings of Peter, we receive everything we need from the day we become a follower of Christ. We have it all. And the purpose of the church is to celebrate that and help us walk it out. But we have trouble walking it out. And as a result, the church has interpreted that as well, you're not all that yet. So you're going to have to work hard at being all that. And you'll grow into becoming more than you presently are. I, I don't believe that's true. I think the message is if we could get people to see the wonder of who they are in Christ from day one, and then as a worshipful response to that grace, help them live that out, there, there, there is so much joy there. A lot of leaders listen to this podcast, Terry, and uh, pastors, leaders of different kinds, spiritual directors. Um, you've, you've mentioned kind of the negative side of some things not to do, you know, um, which would be if we're modeling this, we're modeling the gospel, as you just succinctly put, that we have everything and yet we're trying to live out of that reality. We're not going to do things like, well, you behave in our in our messages. We're not going to imply that. We're not going to you know, twist people's arms. That's kind of the negative side of it. There's probably other things that we shouldn't do. You could list those as well. But what are some of the things, what are the positive uh, things that we do model, that we do um, show people or that we do with our words or with our bodies or whatever it may be to demonstrate that this has affected us, you know, in the deep way that Jesus has um, has drawn us into. Great, thank you. Let me let me share a few things. One of them is I want to begin with a, a statement that came from uh, the great African American American statesman Howard Thurman in his book Jesus and the Disinherited. He said 
awareness of what it means to be a child of God is the starting place of courage and strength. Not being a child of God, awareness of what it means to be a child of God. If you will notice, I can't find a single place in the New Testament that provides a modifier to the phrase child of God. There's not man child of God, woman child of God. There's no racial modifier. There's no age modifier. It's child of God. And I think that what we need to, you mentioned, great preach and model, is what does it mean to be a child of God in all of its wonder? What has God planted inside of us? And to begin to celebrate that even at the time that someone is struggling in their Christian life. Celebrate who they are, what is true of them. Um, I, I often think of the story of the prodigal son. The son was the son at home when he was obedient. He was the son when he was lost in the fields, and he was the son on his way home. And yet there seems to be a lack of understanding that. So in the positive, let's do that. Let's also do this. Let's celebrate, episodically celebrate people, even when they're struggling, so that they get this sense of wonder inside of them. I wrote a book two years ago because of a tragedy. The most wonderful young woman that was associated with our ministry ended up taking her own life. And I remember that day saying, she could not see what the rest of us could see, which was the wonder of her presence. And my, um, my agent then heard me say that and said, you've got to write on that. So I wrote this book called From Broken to Beloved. I, I think this is what we, this is, the, this is the positive. You know, the glory of the gospel, the wonder of Christ. You know, that Romans 5 passage where, where Paul writes that God has given us access by faith to grace. And it's almost as if he's wanting us to picture this treasure room or a secret garden filled with wonder that we have access to by faith in Christ alone, not our behavior. Sorry, I got a little preachy there. <laughs> no. Wow. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much um, for all that you shared. I think there's a couple more questions we'd like to ask. One of them has to do with a lot of our listeners, or at least who we're hoping is listening to what we're doing, are leaders in the church. I wonder if there's a few things you might say to leaders in the church as they listen to what we've been talking about today and have a desire to interact with hurts and traumas and those kind of things in, in faithful ways. Um, I know we talked a little bit about the message we would proclaim, but what would you say just specifically to individual leaders, pastors in the church? Well, let's begin with a general statement, and that is that uh, leaders need to be on their own journeys. It's, it's one thing to have been academically trained to be a pastor, but what we know is that does not necessarily address some of the deepest issues that we carry with us. Many pastors have carried a lot of baggage. I did a lot of baggage into ministry. So we need to be on our own journey. Uh, another piece of being on our own journey is that it's, it's not particularly helpful to try to do this by yourself. You want to be with someone that understands the nature of the journey, be able to walk with you, uh, be able to understand something about 
the episodic nature of encountering Christ in the wounds of the past and everything's been created as a result of that. We, of course, uh, you know, have created pathways for that at uh, Healing Care Ministries, particularly through the Healing Care Center. And we have people there all the time that come and they're great people, but they need somebody to walk with them because they've recognized this. They're stuck and nothing that they've been doing that's traditionally encouraged is helping. And so what they want is someone to help them find Jesus in the unresolved issues of the past. I think, Greg, Ted, if, if I was bright enough to write a good book, it would be on uh, a theology of the ditch. Jesus meets us in the ditch. And we try to pretend that we're not in it, but many of us are. And Jesus is right there with us, wanting us to simply turn to him and let him do a great work of healing and transformation. Wow. Thank you, Terry. I, as, you, as you share that, I think about, I was talking to my wife about this last night. I graduated seminary at 25 years old. I was ordained right after. And I did not for the most part, I don't want to totally denigrate my seminary education at all because I was trained in a lot of wonderful ways. But for the most part, I was not walked through my own wounding. Um, I was not walked through this sort of a paradigm. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I went for counseling because I've been married for I don't know, at that point, 12, 13 years. And I was tired of telling Jennifer, I'm sorry. And having no, uh, I, I began to lose confidence that my sorry meant anything. Mm-hmm. I began to lose confidence that I really knew how to change in ways that would uh, be loving to my wife. And so it was counseling and beginning some healing and then spiritual direction that really um, was significant for me. So I'm so grateful for what you guys are up to and, and mm. what, uh, what you are um, pioneering in a lot of ways, I think, with Healing Care Ministries. And will, will you say just a, a bit about formational prayer? Because we've started to have a conversation about you coming out in, uh, mm. to Arizona, probably in 2023, and, uh, and leading a kind of a seminar workshop sort of thing on formational prayer. Would you say just a little bit about that? Yeah, we, we, I have called the modality of care formational prayer, a type of prayer that positions us to be formed in Christ. And formational prayer really is the intersection of behavioral science, Bible and theology, and an encounter of the Holy Spirit. And how do we then help people position themselves before the Lord in such a way that he can bring up to the surface what we've been trying to stuff down for years and years and years. And he doesn't bring it up to punish us. He brings it up to free us. That's why that passage I mentioned earlier, where there was shame, there is praise. And uh, we have done that particular seminar probably 70 or 80 times. We probably have trained over 7,000 Christian caregivers in that particular model. And I wouldn't continue it if I didn't see Jesus doing 
something tremendous. And so I'm excited that we're going to get to partner and come out to Arizona. And I think what we're going to do is a kind of a two day introduction to how we can get going on this. Uh, I, I think it'll be just a wonderful time to partner with your good folks to see Jesus do something wonderful in their lives. I'm really looking forward to that. Take us out, Terry, with some uh, some good news, because uh, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it's always good news and that our faith is hopeful, right? We're called to hope. It's, it's more than a wishful thinking. It's more than a wondering, um, you know, God is building his church. The gates of hell don't prevail against it. Um, where do you see, where are you encouraged um, about the good things, the, the righteousness in the church? Um, and, and while admitting that some of these things need to die, some of the things you've mentioned, some of the trauma, the abuse, the, the you know, figuring out the loss and the death of our own stories. But in the gospel story, you know, it's always followed with resurrection. You know, resurrection comes after death. So paint for us a picture, both kind of uh, how you see, what, what good things you see and what you hope to see God continuing to do in his church. Well, well let me begin with a, a little biblical image that had been given to me years and years ago. It has to do with the book of Revelation. And in, in many ways, the book of Revelation is written in such a way that you see things happening in two different dimensions, what's happening on earth and what's happening in heaven. And one of my professors said that we need to remember when it appears as though things couldn't be worse, they're setting the table in heaven for the great celebration of the banquet of the wedding of the, of, of the lamb. I get that there is discouragement among people, but may God awaken us. May our eyes open because the Holy Spirit's moving. There are people getting changed. There is hope being restored. What we're seeing, I think, is the good news of consolation coming out of the recognition of desolation, meaning some of what we've been preaching and doing just isn't working. And to be honest with you, there's good news in that because all of a sudden God is sweeping in. He's bringing us a new message and a new hope. And people that have been worn out and hurting are saying, yes, that's what I want. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. If someone is listening to this and they want, they want the best of Terry, they want the, they want the, the best place to go to, um, you know, experience this kind of transformation based on the things that you've done. I'm sure you have more than one thing going on, but so you can mention several if you want to, but what's kind of the best way to get connected to you or to the ministries that you do? Well, I would encourage them to go to the Healing Care Ministries website. They're a good website that has a list of the various things that we're doing. Where will I be speaking? What are the seminars that are coming up? It also talks about resources and books that I've written. I think the most important thing is it highlights the Healing Care Center, which is an actual place that we purchased where individuals that are hurting can come and they can receive either intensive care face-to-face -face, or they can receive ongoing care online. And we're seeing a lot of people come there and leave with tremendous amount of hope because it's all about pointing to Christ. And when you are in the presence of Christ, there is nothing but hope. 
Well, uh, we thought this was a, a wonderful uh, interview with you, Terry. Thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show today and giving. Hi, yeah, and we look yeah, forward. And until until we're face to face. That's right. Hopefully next year. That sounds wonderful. Well, this has been the Taste and See podcast, a ministry of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. And I want to remind our listeners that if you're looking uh, for a spiritual director, we have a listing of spiritual directors on our website, sfsaz.org, uh, as well as uh, places that you can connect for uh, soul care. And, and I want to encourage you not to forget to check out our conference. It's coming up in February called Formational Leadership. That's on February, I think, 3rd and 4th or 2nd and 3rd. I don't know. It's on the website. But check that out. You don't want to miss um, that conference coming up. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, friends. Thank you, friends.